Welcome to the Tech Sales Show, where we are dedicated to making you a better tech seller, sharing tried and true sales strategies and answering your questions weekly. Hey, hey, Bobby. What's up, Brian? We are on series... 21 episode 2 and this is all about recognizing cognitive biases is it biases or biases we should probably I'm know that if we're gonna I'm gonna do go a series on that. i'm gonna go with biases i think that's the texas way to say it biases so let's do that uh so the first part of the series we did the first six we um we talked about um a number of so we did this a similar series on this or let's say listener's choice about 10 months ago and that was all about the biases that we have as sellers and the approach we take with customers and prospects because of these this lizard brain or caveman brain that we have. We approach situations in a certain way. If you like this kind of stuff, the kind of the psychology of sales, then you should go back and check that episode out. Scott was a guest speaker on that show. Scott Evans, my brother. And that was an interesting one. It got a lot of we got a lot of good ratings out of that one and a lot of listens on that one. And and this one we're doing a two-part series. And the approach is instead of focusing on us, we're going to focus on the biases that our that our prospective customers have towards our sales approach. So in the first uh, episode that we did, we talked about attentional bias. We talked about ambiguity effect. We talked about the Parkinson's law of triviality. We talked about confirmation bias, which is probably the most well-known one. We talked about status quo bias. And then finally, selection bias. Those are the first six Today we're going to cover 7 through 14, and again, we're, we're talking about all these from a customer's perspective. Yeah, I like it. I think uh, if you didn't listen last week, go back and listen for sure. We shared a few topics and thoughts that would maybe help you see it from your customer's perspective. We've talked about it for the two years we've been doing the podcast that you need to be able to take your shoes off, put your customer's shoes on, understand what they're thinking and what they're doing during a sales cycle to better prepare yourself to win that deal. And all of these biases are in your customer's mindset as they're thinking about doing a deal with you. And so hopefully we we know that these should all provide you value, but hopefully you'll use them and they will provide you value in your sales cycles in 2020. Indeed. All right, so let's, uh, let's work on the list here. Um, we're going to start with uh, reactants. Uh, reactants is the urge to do the opposite of what you're told in order to maintain a sense of independence. Um, So the frequent reaction a prospect has to us or a customer has to us is that we are the pushy salesperson and um, and we just want what we want and we're only focused on the outcomes that we think we can, uh, you know, we're only focused on getting commission, right? Like the worst of a salesperson is that we're only focused on the commission. And what's worse than that, I think, even, is a, a desperation, a, a salesperson that's in desperation. Maybe they're behind on their number. Maybe they're behind on their cash flow. And, and they kind of enter this phase of not only a pushy salesperson, but a desperate salesperson, which is obviously the worst of us. And I I think I can smell this a million miles away as a, as a consumer. Bobby, I'm sure you can too. Mm-hmm. As a consumer, like we can smell the pushy salesperson. It's the worst um, and I, you know, other than being really self-aware and being really thoughtful, if, if you think, if you have one deal versus 20 deals, 
you're you're just naturally going to be inclined to be desperate in that and there is nothing worse and the prospect can smell it from a million miles away but it's so true if you look at the top performers these are people that have fat pipelines they are confident they push back they challenge the customer they do these things that that shows the customer confidence in what they can deliver and therefore increases their batting average or their winning percentage it's just this like cascading domino effect that you have with with some confidence and and reactance is kind of like the worst of salespeople i think yeah and let's assume that none of the tech social listeners have caused this issue for all of us but some salespeople have caused this for everybody Um, every customer has had an interaction with a pushy salesperson or a desperate salesperson and they are they are on their heels to maintain their sense of independence for sure and we all have to do what we can to continue to fight this and, and not be that pushy salesperson, but be more of the teacher and the challenger seller to make sure that we, we don't we don't smell desperate and that we don't have that pushiness uh, in everything we do. And I've seen it at the manager level. I've seen it at the VP level. I've seen it at every level in sales um, that have create customers or made customers be more like this um, and be on their heels instead of being engaged with the sales team for a great outcome. Yeah. This is something that like there are great books on self-awareness. If you fear that you, this is you, um, this is something that is fixable. um, But it takes time. It take, it's going to take six months to fix probably. um, But it is fixable and it is it is probably the number one difference between a top performing account executive. We we should probably do like an entire series or certainly a listener's choice on on confidence uh, because it is it is everything when it comes to uh, selling successfully. The next one is is one of my favorites, and that's projection bias. Um, it's a, it's nuanced a little bit, so I'll give the description of it, but then I'll give an example that I think will help kind of bring it home in projection bias is the inaccurate perception or prediction that our thoughts preferences and values will remain constant so in the customer's mind they think i got this problem all right i need to solve this issue and the salesperson has the where that they're trying to sell the hardware or software they're trying to sell and no matter what i tell them the answer is always going to be their product and like that's they're, they're kind of right of course I, what changes this, I think, the biggest way to fix this is to truly show them that you understand. And we haven't, this could also be another listener's choice. And it's, you do this by being a great listener. And salespeople are traditionally not great listeners. <laughs> but you, you do this by restating their objectives, even if they're contrary to what you're trying to sell. But you're, you look them in the eye and they say, I, we're having this issue. We cannot solve this. Our reporting is terrible. I'm having to hire two or three more analysts to accomplish this or that. And you have to repeat back those challenges to them, not lead off with, oh, we should definitely do a demo. Or we need to demo this. Or we need to show you this. Or you need to talk to this customer. It's just, it's just really basically uh, taking a step back repeating back their challenges, making sure that you really clearly understand them and understand where your gaps may be too and how they align to their, their, their issues. Yeah. I I think I've won deals because I've walked away 
because I couldn't necessarily help a customer do exactly what the, what they were asking me to do, and because of I, because of the honesty or the transparency, the customer's like, no, 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 don't leave. Let, let's stay. Let's keep talking. Let's figure out how we can make your solution work. Um, almost, it, it it seems crazy, but it's very true. Where, you know, and I think it's more of the occasions where the customer said, I, I want this unicorn thing. And all the other competitors around me were trying to prove that their thing could be a unicorn, which was impossible. And I mm-hmm. was like, look, you're you're asking for a unicorn and there is no such thing as a unicorn. So I'm going to bow out early here and move on. And all the other competitors got kicked out and I got brought in and we really tried to figure out how we could make the best out of the scenario that the customer was asking for and what my solution could provide. And it truly was because I was the first person that pushed back on this projection bias. It's scary, especially if you only have one or two deals in your pipeline. This is like really scary. Um, but we've talked about it in many other scenarios. I'm not going to water a dead plant. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on a deal that has no chance of producing the win that I want it to win. And uh, I think I think you'll be surprised how they'll react if you do bow out. Well, I think the way you're talking about it is it so closely links to confidence in a seller. A confident seller um, is not afraid to, to lose. And like the customer, the prospect sees that and attaches to that, right? Like then they kind of, in the best case scenario here, and maybe even in the average scenario here, if, if they can feel that honesty and that confidence and it will become more of a solutioning engagement, right? Like, yep. all right, let's, okay, I get it. So you guys aren't strong here. But I love this, this, and this about your solution. So let's work together to figure out how we're going to solve that. Yeah, you'll probably win that deal every time. Yeah, agreed. So that's projection bias. The next one is the mere exposure effect. And um, this is, um, I'll, I'll read the definition and then I'll kind of give more uh, a more specific customer example here. So the mere exposure effect is forming uh, of a strong connection to things merely because of familiarity with them. So uh, this is so common, right? Like we call, you call prospect, get them on the phone. We do HR and finance. Oh, that's cool. I've got an HR and finance system too. And like instantly you're, you're categorized in this, what everything else does, right? Mm-hmm. Like I'm sure Bobby, you didn't encounter this at all with in storage at all. No, did you? not at all. I mean, I think, yeah. I think the biggest example the the big the one that jumps to my mind when I think of this one is the CIO or the the the, the person that was hired at the organization from a vendor. Um, I have a great example of an Oracle consultant who came from Oracle, who's now the CIO of a customer. Who, if Oracle does it, he knows everything about it, right? And because he has had exposure to that. He, he wants to rattle off and talk about and just replay over and over what Oracle can do. And you're always and constantly going to be compared to that Oracle uh, solution and the, the, the positives that it does, right? And I think we all have some history, right? If it's server-based computing in my Citrix days, I'm, I'm core. I know that. I bet know that still better than most. And I'm, I'm going to fight for telling the stories that I know around that. So Keep that in mind. Do your preparation, people. Know where they came from. Know what you're probably up against long before the conversation even starts to happen. Yeah, this I, I really love this one. This one was a um, 
when I when I read it the first time, I thought how common this was. And I think the the best advice I have to overcome this is to lead your engagement with really bold statements. This also comes back to the confidence thing too. You want to express to the prospect um, how you got to recategorize yourself and say you got to be you have to confidently say this is what we solve. If this is not what you're looking for, we understand. If we're not we we may not be a good fit for you, but you have to be so bold with your with some of your opening statements. Certainly when it comes to executives, that it it kind of forces you to not be um, compared to the, your competitors in such a close bucket. Otherwise, you're just going to be like, why should I do anything? Why should I change? It's the same, if I buy another system, all I'm going to do is pay deployment fees and I'm going to have yet another system that does not solve my challenges because all these HR systems, they're all the same. Yep. If you don't, if you're new to the show, go back and listen to one of our episodes where we talked about building your power statement. You know, it it truly is this boldness that we were trying to get sellers to create for themselves about who you are, what you're selling, and what you can accomplish for customers. And it's not, I'm a Microsoft rep who sells licensing agreements to lower your costs with a reseller over a three-year period of time, right? It's got to be bigger and bolder and stronger than that. And I think it will change the way that people put you in a bucket with everyone else where you're just competing. It gives you the ability to create the opportunity and control that opportunity throughout the process and then win that opportunity. And I think that's the biggest difference that we're trying to get all of you, the listeners to think about how you go about selling. Yeah. All right. Number 10 is loss aversion. Loss aversion refers to the tendency to fear losses more than we enjoy equivalent gains. Uh, so the pain of losing, an example of this, the pain of losing $5 is greater than the joy of finding $5. And, and for prospects or customers, even if uh, purchasing your product will lead to noticeable advantages, the process of changing is too painful and the buyers will go to inact- tend towards not making a decision at all or k- kicking the can down the road. This, I, I think this one falls more to, if, if you sell a very leading edge product, you may have very leading edge buyers for your first, you know, for your first five years, let's say. There was a great article I read the other day that talked about uh, the quickest way to a billion dollar valuation, which we can all dream of having a company with a billion dollar valuation is to um, hire a great user interface developer and then solving a major pain or issue, like what they call a hero uh, solution. Let's take a, an example. Let's say that um, time tracking in restaurants. Let's say that like all the systems suck out there. I don't. I don't know. There's probably great systems out there, but just as an example, and let's say you come out with this gorgeous app that works on the iPhone and Android. It's got a cool user interface. People love dealing with it, and it solves like all these really weird, complex time challenges that companies have but it doesn't integrate with three or four core systems the the buyer that is more forward thinking will tend to will be more biases to buy that system because it solves like this really gritty challenging complex issue they have with scheduling thousands of of restaurant workers it sucks that it doesn't 
connect with these other systems, but man, we solved this really big issue. That's like, if you have a leading edge buyer, you're, you're not going to encounter this. The challenge is most of us work for companies that, that are kind of, most companies are kind of beyond that first five years. Like these are companies that have been around for 10 or 15 years. So the, the customers that you have or the prospects you have buying, they're, they're not like leading edge. It's really cool user interface, but man, it's got to connect to these other three systems. And it's difficult. This is a really hard one to overcome. The only way I've seen it successfully overcome, Bobby, is, is by helping them quantify the, the lost, the opportunity cost they're having year after year of, of spending unnecessary, you know, costs, uh, whether it's on systems or people, unnecessary costs of this problem they've encountered and how solving it with your wear is going to, is going to immediately fix that. And then talking about a roadmap, right? Like while it doesn't connect to these three systems in two years time, it will but think about the savings will help you achieve leading up to that, this, these new systems being connected to it. Well, what I would do, Brian, is just probably tell them that it's going to be out next quarter, that connection, and <laughs> I would win, um, and I would get paid. I'm just kidding. People don't do that. Um, I think there's a lot of hidden things in this bias in general. We were just talking about one before where maybe we would be willing to not gain something if we could gain another thing uh, as it relates to – commissions and wins and percentage of wins and all that I think that we all have this tendency when we're selling something to think it's worth more than it is when we're buying something that's like a personal thing like if you had a watch and you were going to sell someone you always think it's worth more than the buyer think it's worth that's because we have possession of it already and I think we got to put all that together when we're when we're approaching a customer and think through that as it relates to this one, that they're afraid of losing all the cash they put out uh, to give you, even though it may be the company's money. They don't want to be reflected on poorly. It's their name and brand that's gonna, that will be lost if this project doesn't go well. And it just can, everything continues to compound on, I'm going to lose too much credibility if this isn't good. So how do we counteract that bias? We make sure they are confident. We prove to them in, in over and over ways that um, they're going to gain so much more than they would lose. The budget will be well re- returned in benefit over and over again. I think that I think we can. We good sellers can overcome this by projecting the good over a long period of time and not just the bad, or let the customer reflect on just the bad. Yep, I like that. Next, we have uh, functional fi- uh, fixedness, oddly named, um, but I, I like this, and I think this also very closely ties into the bolt statement that we talked about in the previous uh, podcast as well. Um, this is basically the inability to see objects as useful other than in the most obvious way. And so you have, let's say that you're doing an executive demo, you've gone through discovery, but you have executives that are in the room that have never seen your product before, and maybe they're just in to see the top three candidates, right? You're competing against three other competitors. You've got a bake-off demo over the course of a few days. And like when they look at it, sometimes they're categorizing it as like, how pretty does the user interface look? Or what's the cost of the system? Because that's a very obvious upfront thing. And I think the only way to solve this is through when we talk about bold statements, like we work with these types of companies because we help achieve these types of outcomes. I think a follow-up statement to that, to the way you can kind of get around this 
is by following that statement by saying, if you only see three things today, I think it's critical that you see these three things about our system. And, and then align those to kind of challenges that they come out to. You got to keep this opening statement really, really short, though. Otherwise, you're gonna, it's going to get lost, right? Like if you try to spill out two paragraphs on why you're different, they're going to hear three or four words and be dismissed. But if you really boldly stand up and say, you, if you only see one difference or two difference or at max three differences, here are the things that you should look out for. Yeah, and I think uh, we've all probably responded to an RFP or been around an RFP that has a scorecard that you must be able to accomplish X, Y, and Z. That this, this that that has comes from this functional fixedness where people think they know what's best for their organization and they probably have a really good idea, but they've created it in speeds, feeds, and functions that they must meet because they're not going to get they're not going to get sold to again and have a product that doesn't meet their goals and, and accomplish their needs. But as Brian stated. It's more about the big picture. Like when we first started talking, I would use a coach inside of the customer that says that I would coach before this bake off that says, Hey, when we first started talking, you, you were talking about these big things your company's trying to accomplish. Now it seems like we're down to the, the widgets and the do's and don'ts of these products. Um, in this, and, and it's only going to play into it if it's my going to help me win, but why don't we make it be about A, B, and C? And make sure the executives go back to their original goals of this project and let us show off that we can do X, Y, and Z for your organization, especially if the competition can't do X, Y, and Z. We, you know, we, we, we flip it around and make it to where only we can win again and that the executives are seeing our one or two huge differentiators that aren't just functions. They are um, increasing your work capabilities by your people X percent over a period of time, right? Um, reducing your cost to deliver a solution of X to your customers by Y, by implementing our solution, right? Big, big wins for the company that's going to save them or make them a ton of money that no one else can accomplish. You, you'll you'll break this bias really quick for your customers. Yep. All right, Bobby, we have two more. Uh, base rate fallacy, and this is where we Ignore broadly accepted information and favor information that is specific to a specialized case. I, I think this is like, we've talked about this one in a, in a couple of different ways, but a, a buyer that's very near, nearsighted or unsophisticated will only want to talk about processes that will be immediately impacted. Like, And these could be very small benefits that aren't going to improve their overall business case. But... They won't be, this is where you have to help them kind of level up their game because they may be um, reluctant to hear about other capabilities that will impact their business. And you have to be careful here because if they are a sophisticated buyer that they know they can get it approved, you're, you could be, they could perceive it as you, you know, talking down to them or not fully understanding their business or understanding what they do day to day. Um, but if it is a nearsighted buyer or an unsophisticated buyer, help them see far beyond um, their most specific process or challenge and how that will be inf- impacted and, and help them level that up and then help them to go. It's, it's kind of going both horizontal, horizontal and vertical when it comes to the business case. Well, I think to me this, while it's kind of in the name, it's not implied necessarily, but this is all about pricing to me. I mean, when I hear it, I think through the way this is being described is customers that focus solely on price 
uh, I only have X amount of dollars and you're well more expensive than that. And they just, they shut, shut you off based on that alone. Well, wouldn't, you know, I would always tend to go back to, wouldn't it be more valuable to accomplish X, Y, and Z? Again, you can't demean or downspeak to those, to those yep. users, um, or you'll get thrown out. But, uh, if, if, okay, if I could sell you just this one third of my product that accomplishes your goals for the price that you're asking me to do it, would that be good? The customer's always going to say, no, I want everything else too. I just want it to be this price. Well, that's where you have to really help guide that customer, teach them how to go ask for more budget. Um, don't just, don't just focus on the short term need of price. So focus on the bigger picture. Um, I've taught a lot of people how to do some of this negotiating, but what if I sold you my product for one year and it met your price need, but you had to re up in another year. There's, there's all kinds of ways to accomplish or get around the budget conversation. You can probably make it work, but the customer normally will see that they want the whole thing and that it's going to cost them more money. They just got to go figure out how to get it. Yeah, I didn't even think about it from that perspective. So, yeah, that's a great point. Okay, finally is the bandwagon effect. Uh, bandwagon effect is the tendency to behave in the same as the majority. And I, I like this one, and I hate this one, because like sometimes, let's say as a salesperson, you have um, no wins in the, we'll keep down the restaurant industry theme. Let's say you have no restaurants as customers today and you're working with a prospective customer that's in the restaurant industry. You're probably selling against a competitor that has a, what we call a NASCAR slide. Bobby, is that a familiar term? Yeah. Yeah. A bunch of stickers. bunch of logos. Yep. Um, to where you've got a PowerPoint slide up and it's got all the companies that you worked with it, like just like them. If it's a new industry that you're selling into, you probably have none of these things. So you're trying to like, you're stretching, right? Like instead of restaurants, you're putting like a movie theater and like other random companies that kind of look like them. So it works against you, which is a really challenging way to sell. You know, then your your action and activities have to be around, you know, focusing less on their industry, more about the problems that you can help them overcome, more about executive sponsorship, how while we don't have many customers in your industry, this is going to be a, a new key industry for us. And because of that, we're going to put a good executive sponsor in place for you. There are ways around it, but it's certainly hard. That's the, that's the challenging part of the bandwagon effect. But the part that's missed by so often by, by salespeople is when it's positive. Like, let's say you do have that NASCAR slide of all the oil and gas companies that you've worked with. Why not boast about that? Like, that's clearly um, an arrow in your, your in your quiver that you can that you can pull out and it can be super impactful for it. So it's absolutely worth spending some time. We talked about this in like the very first episode we did in this podcast. Spending time to understand their business, know what kind of customers that you have in there, and then aligning their challenges with outcomes that other customers and in their industry have achieved. Yeah, I think this one. What the story that jumps to my mind is when I I worked at EMC. EMC had about a third of the market share for storage, and it was in the enterprise space. They maybe had fifty percent or, or closer to between a third and fifty percent, and everyone was just you know just beat, and they they didn't want to compete, they didn't want to fight for that other two thirds. And I was like, when I was new, I was like, you guys are crazy. You know, when we were at Microsoft and we had ninety seven percent market share on certain things we would have killed to have two thirds of the market to go get, you know, it was so hard to sell. And it is almost uh, from the sales reps uh, bias that, you know, how am I ever going to overcome this negative? Right. But it having a third of the market share is still pretty freaking good. 
and all the quote unquote ankle biters that were trying to beat up uh, NetApp and EMC and HP storage arrays, they they, they were just fighting from zero percent uh, market share, and they nothing but up was good for them, right? And I just think that some of us some of us sellers we get kind of caught up in whatever our hardship is and forget the goodness and customers while they might follow the bigger brands or the bigger solutions or the bigger kind of buzzwords cloud virtualization whatever that might be at the moment in time um, take heed of the good that you have and make sure that customers understand those goods and take advantage of the bandwagon effect wherever you can no matter how big or small it is for your organization it's absolutely worth the research. Know the stories, come prepared, expect the question in the very first meeting. Who who looks like me that you work with? Like that should be at the tip of your tongue, ready to go. And only through proper like preparation do you have that kind of stuff at the ready. It could be it could be one of the most uh, powerful arrows that you've got. No doubt. As always, people don't be average. Average is the enemy. Average sucks. Thanks for listening to the Tech Sales Show. Thanks everyone. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Tech Sales Show. Subscribe to our email list at www.techsaleshow.com and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Tech Sales Show. Until next week, average is the enemy.